Welcome to the Jim Cressman Podcast. Our guest today, when he was just six years old, Bedros Kulian and his family traded comfort for freedom by leaving Soviet and communist-controlled Armenia for the U.S. Facing discrimination, adversity, and poverty, Bedros went down a very dark road of criminality during the early part of his life. Fast forward to facing down his demons through many dark nights of the soul and channeling his rage into productivity, Bedros launched the Fit Body Bootcamp franchise, which has become one of the top fitness franchises on the planet. He's gone on to write one of my favorite books, a bestseller called Man Up, and he hosts the Empire Podcast, which helps go-getters turn their ideas into businesses and their businesses into empires. He's also foundational to millions of people to realize their potential dial into their purpose, and he reminds me daily to embrace the discipline required to be a fighter jet and not a crop duster. Pedros, welcome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the opportunity, Jim. It might be a good place for us to start. Talk a little bit about that, uh, that idea of, of people who go through life being a crop duster versus the people who are willing to embrace the challenge of becoming a fighter jet. That's, that's a really good place to start, actually. And uh, many years ago, I realized that, that humanity is broken down into crop dusters and fighter jets. And the unfortunate, sad thing about it is we are all born as fighter jets. And what I mean as a fighter jet is someone who is a go-getter, who's curious, who's willing to take risks, who takes responsibility, uh, goes after their dreams. That is a fighter jet. And a crop duster is someone who kind of hangs out in the sea of mediocrity, believes that I can get around to it tomorrow. Procrastination is their way of life. They're always hitting the snooze button uh, metaphorically and literally every morning and find themselves living a life of regret when they're on their deathbed, realizing that my life passed me and I've done nothing in terms of purpose. And the reason I say everybody starts off as a fighter jet is because when you're born as a baby, you cry when you're hungry, man. You scream, holy hell, and that mom will bring you to her breast or put that bottle in your mouth. And when you've pooped yourself as a baby, you cry, you raise holy hell, and you know how to get your diaper changed. And then when you become a little toddler, you're curious, and you start looking at things and grabbing at things at the table. And, well, curiosity takes over. And you start taking risks and getting on top of the couch and jumping off. All those things that we need to thrive in life end up getting neutered by our parents, by our grandparents, by the school system that says, slow down, watch out, Jim, be careful, don't say that, you might hurt yourself, you might hurt someone else's feelings. And before you knew it, others have transferred their own thoughts and limiting beliefs on us and have taken that fighter jet and turned them into a crop duster that goes, well, I guess I'm meant to be just this average guy or gal who is going to be like, you know, they even have a term for it you know, competing with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. I don't ever want to keep up with the Joneses, man. I know that I'm here to live a life of purpose, of impact, of influence, and I need to take risks. I need to go after what I want, and I need to make people evangelical about my mission. For that to happen, there is a fair amount of risk involved, uh, and people have just kind of lost their claws and things to go after those things, and, and that's just a sad state. One component of this story that resonated with me, and I know it resonates with lots of people, is this idea that that your parents, grandparents, society, schooling, 
all sort of teaches us to do everything we can to suppress our rage, uh, our anger, our frustration. And you have posited the idea that that should be turned into fuel for your ambitions. Yep. And and tell us a little bit about that, because that, that just seems to be so applicable for the world we're dealing with right now, where a lot of things are out of our control. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it doesn't matter if, if you believe in, in, in God, in Allah, in Buddha, or just the universe, whoever or whatever created us, I believe, and I think most people will agree, that we are an amazing mechanism of thoughts, of emotions, of ideas that we turn into technology and infrastructure and products and services. So surely there's nothing out of place in this great human mind and body that we have. And so how can we even assume that rage, jealousy, um, any kind of negative emotions, uh, being a control freak, people go, you're such a control freak. I just reframe it and I go, I'm a controlled king. Because if I can control my time, my productivity, I can control my wife, I can control my friends. People go, wait, how do you control your wife? I go, because when I'm out of town, I send her love text messages that I love her, that I miss her. And even if I'm speaking on stage to 2,000 people, none of them hold a candle to speaking to her sitting on her couch. And when I do that, I now have a wife that I come home to who's happy, who's excited, and doesn't just go, well, while you were out there getting loved up by 2,000 people, I was here dealing with the kids and the house and the plumbing and the whatever. And so all this to say that those negative emotions that people call negative emotions, uh, hate, anger, rage, jealousy, are there for a reason. Now, we could certainly act negatively because of that and go commit crimes and get boozed up on drugs and alcohol and erode our lives, or we could use it as energy and energy as fuel to make a difference, to create a positive outcome. So it's very easy to take a negative emotion and say, you know what, great, go ahead and call me a foreigner, call me an immigrant, tell me that I'm supposed to go back to my own country because I'm taking your American jobs. I will show you that I will become so rich and I will become so wealthy and I will be, be so generous with my money that you will want millions more of, of Americans like me in this country. And that's exactly what I've done. And so had I used that hate and that rage as, and there was times in my teens and early 20s that I did use it negatively. I got into fights and carjackings and things of that sort that I massively regret. It never worked out in my favor. But when I use it as fuel and energy to show the world that I can do it and in the process elevate myself and my family, my community, my tribe to a better place, there's nothing wrong with those emotions. We need them. They're there for a reason. Don't stifle them. What triggered that mindset, Bedros? What what took you, what experience or situation in your life made you go, you know what? Rather than trying to get rid of this component of my personality, I am going to integrate it into my overall success model. What happened in your life that, that triggered that and inspired it? You know, I, I think as I went from my 20s into my early 30s and then into my late 30s. Around 38 years old, I had this massive anxiety attack, which I thought was a panic attack. I talk about it in my book, Man Up. And after the age of 38, I started to become a lot more self-aware, Jim. And part of that self-awareness was one morning I woke up, I was probably 39, almost 40. I woke up, there was no reason for me to be in a dark mood. And I was in this dark mental place. I, I slept well. Um, I didn't have any weird nightmares that freaked me out. 
But I woke up in a dark place and for the first time ever in my life, using self-awareness, basically being a human being, using consciousness instead of using my animal nature, because we are also human animals and human beings. We ebb and flow between human animal and human being. And as a human being, I said, hey, wait a minute. Instead of emotionally reacting and being snappy towards my wife and then being a jerk at work and saying, I'm going to have a crappy workout today, let me just sit on the edge of the bed and, and analyze. Why am I having this? You know, I can't figure out why. The only thing I was able to figure out, Jim, is that maybe the universe says, we just need to remind you that you have a good life. And so we're giving you a bad headspace right now to help you feel a sense of gratitude. And I literally started, that's when I started in my book, I talk about sending out three gratitude text messages every single day to people I'm grateful for and I appreciate. That was the morning that I did that. I sat on the edge of the bed, like I have no reason to be sad and dark and gloomy. So all I can think is this is a lesson from the universe to remind me that I have a very good life, that I should be grateful towards it. And as Tony Robbins says, when you start changing the conversation in your head, the mindset follows. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to text three people how much I love them, appreciate them. I'm grateful for them instead. And as I was doing that, my whole day shifted to a much brighter day. And I'm like, holy crap. Sometimes the dark energies just come to teach us a lesson, to remind us of how awesome life is, or to use as fuel. Because happiness can only take me so far. I'm so happy that I'm going to be super successful. Or I'm so angry that I'm going to be super successful and run through that wall. Anger will help me run through that wall and, and, and save people out of a burning building more than happiness will, more than joy will. And so we need that as fuel. You are a motivational monster. You know, every time I want to get jacked up, I just go to your Instagram page and I feel what you're, uh, I, I pick up what you're putting down. Let's put it that way. Thank you. How do you give people real tactics and strategies to integrate into their life daily? Because a lot of people probably hear your messages, same as me, and they go, okay, I'm motivated. I'm ready to go. Where do I start? And what advice do you give people who want to turn their life around, who want to shift their perspective, who want to take action? Where do they start? Yeah, you know where they start is right here. I always say start it yourself. Everyone wants to add more things to their life. Like, what else do I need to do? Do I need to add a morning routine? Do I need to? I got an idea. Why don't you start taking away things? If you're binge watching Netflix at night, why don't you just stop binge watching Netflix? If you're eating a whole bunch of ice cream at night and then waking up fatter and angry at yourself and depressed because you let your willpower why don't you just control what you're eating? So it's actually happiness and discipline through subtraction, not addition to your life. So if you're stressed and unhappy, the last thing you want is more shit added to your life in terms of rules to follow. How about we take away the Netflix? How about we take away the social media binging? How about we take away the FOMO, the people that we're following who always put the highlight reels up of their life, making us feel like our life is so inferior to theirs. If you just block those people or mute them or unsubscribe from them, then you won't see and have that fear of missing out, the FOMO component. And as we subtract all the bad things out of our life, but subtract a couple things at a time, build a habit for three weeks, subtract a couple more. And then we start adding the good things. Ironically, just before this, I was on a coaching call with a client who does about half a billion dollars a year with his construction business. And um, that's B with a billion with a B. And, and, and after taking, this is two months into a 12-month coaching program, after taking a few things that were toxic, for example, 
having one cocktail led to having several cocktails every night to take the edge off. That led to him being confrontational with his partner at night, his, his girlfriend. That led to them arguing and then going to bed angry, which only means you're going to wake up as a very angry leader at work. And when you're running a company that does half a billion a year, there's no margin for error like that. And so as we started to eliminate the alcohol and we started to eliminate him trying to fix his girlfriend and instead said, hey, honey, why don't you work with the therapist? You can tell me your problems. I'm just going to listen. But we, you can go work with the therapist and they'll help you fix and solve things. He realized he's got a little more peace in his life. Now we started to add things into his life like 30 ounces of water when you wake up first thing in the morning. As simple as that. And for a whole month now, he's been drinking 30 ounces of water every morning when he wakes up, which helps him rehydrate his body, rehydrate his brain, because we dehydrate at night. I'm sure you know that. Kickstart your system. Exactly. And that one habit is going to lead to now him working out consistently. But if I said, hey, man, add all these things to your life. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And as disciplined as he is as an entrepreneur, he just doesn't have any more time. And so it's one winning habit at a time. And then you take away one losing habit at a time or behavior. And before you know it, you've got a champion of a human. Yeah. And underscoring all of that is this difference that you've articulated a lot over the years, uh, the, the difference between the pleasure-driven individual and the purpose-driven individual. And people who are pleasure-driven, are they are living in the moment, oddly enough. They are looking to satiate themselves in the moment with drugs, alcohol, pornography, some sort of distraction that takes them away from, from their purpose or what they really need to be thinking about, or maybe even from confronting pain in their past that they just can't quite uh, surmount to some degree or another, right? So again, is it, is, it, is it encouraging people to get into their own personal history a little bit? Do you go that deep and go, hey, listen, if you got some demons to confront, you can drink every night and they'll, they'll, fade, you know, they'll fade into the background and you will continue to mitigate that process. But at some point you have to man up and you have to face those demons and you have to break through that wall. Yeah, and that's exactly right, Jim, because at the end of the day, all addiction is a response to trauma. And when you think about that, one out of every four people have been sexually abused and one out of every three people have been physically or mentally abused. Uh, just, you know, a third of people out there have had some kind of abuse, trauma that puts filters on your eyes and your ears. In other words, if like, for example, I've been sexually abused growing up as a kid, I was molested by two older boys. I talk about that openly after healing and working with a therapist. But up until the age of 38, mom was the word, man, my wife, no one knew about it. And I would carry the weight of that because I had shame, rage and confusion about what had happened to me. And so I would want to be a tough guy, improve myself financially, physically in any way possible. And ironically, I'm more of a lover of humanity now than ever because I've healed from that. But Food was my go-to and work was my go-to. And some addictions, while they show up, well, hey, you're making millions of dollars. Yeah, but at what cost? I was neglecting my wife and kids. So that addiction still had a negative, while it had a financial repercussion in terms of money, a positive financial repercussion, it had a negative family repercussion. Yeah, it was just and a transference. So, that's it. That's exactly yeah. it. And so what I had to do was heal and address the trauma to remove the filters of lack of trust. And I felt like I was broken. And so I looked at the world like through this lens of I don't trust people, especially men. I'm broken. 
people are judging me all the time. When in reality, everyone's too worried about what's happening with them to give a shit about what's happening with me, right? But you only see that once you heal. And so whatever the addiction is, food, alcohol, pornography, TV, overworking, there's trauma behind it that triggers that with the hope of being able to ignore and avoid the the, the pain that you're in. But as you said, as soon as the addiction or the the vice uh, wears off, it comes to the forefront again, and you have to deal with it. So why not just deal with it once and for all and heal? And there's something that you touched on there that I think will resonate with the arts community. Um, a lot of the people listening are in the music industry, and that's why I really wanted to have you on is because so many of your lessons are so transferable. Um, this idea, though, that that there is a, a little bit of narcissism, even though I don't think it's maliciously intentioned narcissism behind this idea that, that you get hung up on worrying about what everyone else thinks of you. And as you grow up, as you mature emotionally, you start to realize nobody gives a shit, man. They all got their own problems. And at some point, you have to let go of this idea that you are being judged because this, this narcissistic um, uh, mindset that goes hand in hand with insecurity is something that, again, a lot of us need to confront and understand. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I suppose there's, again, the benefit of having that narcissism behavior in us, especially when we're younger. We need that. That that kind of makes us feel like, hey, we're I'm larger than life. I, I know the answers to everything. Like, I realize now my son is 16 years old, and we raised him in such an awesome way. But every night when we go to work out at my gym together, and then we come home, we hit the hot tub together outside, We'll start talking, and doesn't matter if it's politics or if it's COVID, he will just push back. He will push back because that level of narcissism and arrogance is there to help him in his development. And as we grow up, if we don't begin to heal and gain wisdom, we become adults with narcissism, which is devastating to us because we have a hard time building true, meaningful relationships, friendships. Um, love affairs with the people that we want to really deeply connect with. And so while narcissism, again, like all other bad feelings or, or emotions, there's a purpose for it. We need to let go of it by, by healing and realizing that no one's so occupied with me because they're too occupied with how they're feeling, how their world looks. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the COVID problem because I think you're going to have some great insight on this. I mean, my, my assertion on COVID is that it is the perfect predicament for where our society is now, and I'll expound on that. I think it has forced us through our businesses and our personal financial situations to recognize and face our financial vulnerabilities. It has also forced us as a society to stop deprioritizing health holistically and Rather than just this idea that you can take a pill or take a shot and all your problems are going to be solved and thank God for technology and innovation because that's going to bail your ass out, your lazy ass out, I should say, um, you, you get conditioned to that. But what COVID has done is it's forced us to face the vulnerability, especially in the health realm and go, no, no, no. You can take a shot, but you could still get COVID. You could still die. If you don't take care of these other components of your health, you are going to be in big trouble because COVID to me is, we should treat it almost like a hurricane. It's a natural disaster. It's coming, right? At some point, even if you're vaccinated, you're going to get it no matter what. 
and all you can do is batten down your hatches and prepare. Yeah. You know, it, it, you said that so well. It shocks me that we're 18 months into it now, and you still see people who are morbidly overweight with double masks on. And when we hear actual stats from the CDC and the NIH that the people dying in hospitals from COVID, 78% of them are obese, never mind morbidly obese, are, are obese. Man, you had 18 months to lose the weight. You, any, anyone could easily lose a couple hundred pounds in an 18-month period if you're that overweight. And so it really goes to show you how folks are willing to take a pill, a shot, uh, wear a mask, double mask, socially distance, limit their quality of life and access to other countries and restaurants and venues. Golly, is that really living, Jim, or is that just existing? But if we you know got the answer fit, to that, yeah. But what if you got fit, and what if you kept a positive mental attitude? Because so many studies show that your your what you think and your emotional state and the level of fear that you carry determine how your cells react to a germ or a virus or bacteria. If you kept a positive mental attitude and got to your fight weight, whatever your fight weight is, you know, your healthy weight, my God, it would just be another flu and that's it. But we've made it this World War III type event that's now create, created so much division in our country. Well, it got politicized, which is just so oh. tragic. Yeah. Well, th that's what government is supposed to do. The government is supposed to use every crisis possible to overextend their reach and control. And so that's exactly what they did. And we, humanity, allowed them. We pay the price too. Mm -hmm. But you're we right, sure we're did. complicit in it. Yep. In fact, a lot of uh, fellow citizens of ours have been uh, very much complicit in enforcing, you know, whether it's wearing a mask or demanding that other people get vaccinated in order to protect them, which, you know, like doesn't even make sense, quite honestly. If you're protected, you're protected and that should be the end of it. So I knew you'd have some great insight on it because uh, it's it's exposed so much that we needed to confront. And in a strange way, I'm grateful for COVID because I think it's going to at some point, we'll meet. We'll we'll have this critical mass of data that will be undeniable. That will just remind people, hey, listen, like you said earlier, you don't need to start by adding a bunch of things into your life. But what you could do is replace watching the view in the morning with going for a walk, you know, and listening to a podcast. You could replace, uh, you know, mimosas in the morning with thirty ounces of water. You know, there are things that you can do tangibly to get your life back on track. And another thing that you've talked about really helped me out a lot is mastering your mornings. Because if you can master your mornings, you can set your day off on the right tone. And eventually that all translates into mastering your life uh, overall. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, to that point, I believe that the greatest work that any man or woman can do on this planet is the work of self-mastery, of understanding who you are, who you are not, what's negotiable for you and what's not, what your core values are, what you're willing to die for, battle for, go to war for, or say, this is not a battle I'm willing to fight. Most people have not taken the time to, to develop self-mastery because of the chaos of that we're surrounded with, with social media and news media and just overwhelmed. We don't have time to go internal and think and process and grow. All, all, all this to say that... Um, 
Remind me again, again of the core oh, of the question. We're just, we're just talking a little bit about morning Master. routine, right? And yeah. mastering that. Because again, like, I love your advice. And, and I think that sometimes, though, it's getting that advice into bite-sized chunks down yeah. to where people can integrate components of that into their day to make a difference. And, and, and so to that point, when, when people will ask me, you know, like, okay, well, I, where do I start with self-mastery? If it's that important for me to know what my, what I'm, you know, what I will negotiate on, what I want, my core values are, where do I start? I go, your morning routine. Because if you can master your morning routine, in other words, waking up when you set your alarm and not hitting that snooze button so that you have kept your word to yourself. Imagine the first thing in the morning, if you break your word to yourself, you've lost credibility. And, the, and people do that every morning, millions of them every day, by hitting that snooze button. What if you kept your word and you gained credibility by not hitting the snooze button? And then you had your 30 ounces of water to rehydrate and reactivate your body. And then you actually went out and did your workout like you planned on instead of screen sucking from social media. And having a morning routine that is designed to get you to stack W's versus L's. Because we need to be able to stack W's. When you stack one win, you get another win and another. If you stack one L, you're more likely to get another loss and another loss. And so I always tell people, look, if you want to really develop self-mastery, the best place to start is a morning routine. Because if you win your morning, you win your day. You win your day, you win your week, you win your week, you win your month, you win your month, you win your year. Sure, you will have a bad morning or a bad day or two throughout your year, but it's not going to give you a bad life. And the power of the morning routine and mastering that morning routine is literally having the tools of self-mastery. Uh, but, but again, most people have such chaotic lives that they never take the time to even walk upstairs or wherever their bedroom might, for me it's upstairs, to wherever their bedroom might be, to walk there with 30 ounces of water in the evening so that it's there for you in the morning. Yes, start it off right. It's, it's a, most things in life that we succeed at it's through a combination of intensity and consistency and physicality is no exception, right? It, it, I've gotten lots of my friends uh, in the music industry who often give me the excuse of, I don't have time to work out. I'm like, okay, set your interval timer on your phone for 10 minutes. At the top of each minute, you're going to do 10 pushups, right? Can you do 10 pushups? Yes. Okay, great. Well, after 10 minutes, you've done 100 push-ups. Now, you stack that up. That's 700 push-ups a week. That's 3,000 push-ups a month. It's not brain surgery. And if you can't find 10 minutes in your day to dedicate to your health, then you're never going to get into shape. So stop fooling yourself or start with the 10 minutes. And again, I appreciate having you on because you take these these ideas and concepts that seem overwhelming of getting your shit together and getting your life on track and then breaking them down into, well, you know what? I, I could put aside 10 minutes a day for the next 30 days and see how I feel. I could drink 30 ounces of water every morning for the next 30 days and see if that helps stimulate a new routine. And I just think that, that, that is, that's the number one limiting for belief for people, especially as it pertains to fitness. They don't know where to start. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, so so another component of your book that I love, and I think it's, it's resonates so well with the arts community is finding a deeper purpose and mission by channeling your passion into service for others. And, and a lot of times when it comes to the music industry, people go, I want to be famous. And I go, great. You want to be famous. 
But what do you have to say? What value do you have to bring through the messages of the songs you've written, your experiential wisdom that are going to take away pain or remind people of beautiful uh, situations in their life that are going to resonate with some sort of feeling in them that's going to drive them to become a fan. And it's, it's sort of connecting them with this idea that they can become famous and they can achieve that goal through working hard to align that passion and purpose in the service of others. And you expound on that so beautifully in Man Up. Yeah. Um, so I'm convinced that the rent that we pay to spend time on this beautiful planet is the rent in the form of service to others. And everyone feels that. And anyone who's, you know, this is going to cause some confrontation and, and conflict here, but anyone who's, most people, not anyone, most people who are anxious and depressed, all they're doing is they're, they're ignoring their calling to serve others. And when you ignore that, your body, your subconscious, the universe responds by making you depressed and giving you a feeling of anxiousness. Now, I get it. There's also a small percentage of people who are clinically depressed and they need medication. But by and large, most people who are probably on the medications are simply taking those medications as a form of not dealing with what their great calling is in life. And that doesn't mean that you have to go and be the Tony Robbins, but that does mean that you might have to go and invest some time every other weekend at your local soup kitchen and help out people who are impoverished in your community. That does mean that if you play a musical instrument, that you might want to start a class somewhere in your town where you coach and mentor young kids who are maybe have a predisposition to crime and violence through music at your cost, at costing you nothing because you can, you can rent out a community center and you can maybe get someone to donate the equipment and do that. Everyone feels like, I know I need to do something more. I know I'm on this planet to do something. That something isn't at Tony Robbins' magnitude or Mahatma Gandhi's magnitude, but it is. It might be a community level. It might be a tribal level. It might be industry level. But if you ignore the calling of service to others, you will find yourself depressed and anxious and wonder why you're experiencing that, even life is, even though life is good for you. And it's simply because that's your subconscious mind slapping you around and saying, hey, wake up, dummy. The rent that you pay to be on this planet is in the form of service. And a big component to that can be surrounding yourself with the right type of people, being in the right type of atmosphere and environment where you are being encouraged to do that very thing. You know, and, and again, back to your book, you talk about how each individual becomes a mental com composite of the five people they spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously it's, it's somewhat self-evident, but if you are in a bad neighborhood, a, a terrible familial situation, the advantage that we have now is we have people like yourself and Tony Robbins and others and that we can tune into virtually and we can have virtual mentors. And that's something that didn't exist for you in 1980 necessarily. No, no, it didn't. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you know what they say. You show me your five friends that you hang out with most and I'll show you what your future is going to be like based on what their, what their current status is. And so the reality is if people go, well, look, man, I can't hang out with people like you. You can't. Well, you can certainly start following people like me and people far smarter than me, people far more gifted than me, 
people who are much better oracles than me. And if you just only followed them and stopped following your friends who are pissing and moaning about, oh, the weekend's almost over and back to the grind on a Monday. Really? I don't think Tony Robbins is saying back to the grind on a Monday because Tony Robbins treats every day as a day to be able to impact yet another soul or another thousand souls. And I share this because you can now control the people in your proximity. Your proximity is powerful. And that proximity hangs out right here on your phone. And if I start listening to enough Jim Cressman podcasts, I will begin to think and process and problem solve and carry the attitude of Jim. That's just how it is because the human mind is so pliable that we will adopt the behaviors, habits, uh, thoughts, and deeds of the people around us, even if those around us are just through a phone. Um, again, goes back to, are you willing to make that bold move and unfollow the toxic people in your life who aren't necessarily getting you to the desired outcome and begin to follow and then deploy the strategies of the gyms and the Tony Robbins and the whoever's so that you will have a better life. That's, that's a bold move. And that requires a fighter jet and not a crop duster mentality for sure and uh and then you can take that a step further by editing the circle that you are spending the most time with in your personal life too mm -hmm. so it starts virtually but then you can eventually like start to really recognize the people who are in your life uh to encourage you and of course you want to reciprocate that um ryan holiday talks a lot about stoicism which obviously you're a student of um, his latest book. I, I haven't finished it yet, but it's called the obstacle is in the way. And it resonates. Uh, the title of that resonates with a lot of your messages, which is if you want to find out what you're made of, which is why you created the project. And I want to plug that a little bit on this show. If you want to find out what you're made of, you got to rise to challenges. You got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and see what you are made of. And by and large, I'll bet people mostly surprise themselves. Am yeah. I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Many people surprise themselves to know how much more grit, follow through, strength, energy, mental fortitude they have. And the reason that's so important to constantly seek out adversity and suffering, and you're like, wait, what did he say? Seek out adversity and suffering? Yes, that used to be factory installed in our lives when we were cavemen, because you're hungry and you want to eat the saber-toothed tiger, the problem is the saber-toothed tiger wants to eat you as well. And so you and your, 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 your wife and your little children are kind of huddled up in a little cave, and you're hungry, and you're thirsty, and you need warmth, and you're trying to start fire with wet sticks. You're trying to fight off a saber-toothed tiger who's trying to eat you with a spear. You're trying to somehow make it to the river and come back with a bowl of water for your family before that tiger can eat you. All those things are natural sources of adversity and suffering that help you elevate and become the highest version of yourself. Sadly, the convenience and comfort economy that we live today, where, hell, there, there used to be a little bit of discomfort in getting transportation back in the day, even 10 years ago, when you land in a new city and you better have either rented a car or booked a taxi ahead of time. And if you're going to go back to the airport from the hotel, you got to call the taxi. People are like, wow, you have to call a taxi? Yeah, you have to call a taxi and then say, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., pick me up from the Marriott and take me to the airport in St. Louis. 
Don't forget that wake up call. Don't forget right. that wake up call. <laughs> the wake up call. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and now at the click of a button, we can get the f- car that we want to show up. We can let them know through the app if we want the car to be heated or air conditioned, if we are prone to having conversations. While I love those features of convenience and comfort, groceries now show up to our door. You can even say if you want how many spots you want on the banana. If you want a green banana, a yellow banana, or one that is brown just enough. If you ever go on that grocery store app that my wife has, it fascinates me, Jim. And I share this because we've gotten so convenient and comfortable that we have gotten gelatinous in our mental muscles, emotional muscles, decision-making muscles, and our physical muscles. We have no freaking backbone anymore to be able to stand up against what we know is tyranny, what we feel. I, I don't need the news to tell me that I'm experiencing tyranny right now. I feel it. A free human feels tyranny and says this is not right and has the backbone to stand up against it. But if you've gotten so comfortable and you have gotten so accustomed to convenience, you will never stand for anything. And that's the unfortunate place that society is at because weak men create bad times. Bad times, as we know, create strong men and strong men create good times and good times create weak men again. So the cycle, we are just somewhere on that cycle right now and we need more strong men and women. Um, And I created this thing called The Project, it's for men only. Uh, for 75 hours straight, myself, uh, a Navy SEAL, uh, a very angry Marine, uh, a former SWAT operator, and a MMA fighter put these men through physical, mental, and emotional hardship uh, with a lot of coaching on lifestyle and business development, dating your wife, uh, overcoming your life's traumas and adversities uh, such as abuse, um, whether it's sexual, physical, mental. So it's not just... Um, It's not just, hey, you know, you're hiking for 75 hours straight, going to the beach and the Navy SEALs torturing you in the ocean. But it's really that adversity peppered with coaching and education where the men who graduate on the other side of that 75 hours are part of a brotherhood who really dominate in their four F-bombs. And the four F-bombs that the project is all about is their faith, their fitness, their family and their finance. And people go, faith? What kind of faith? Are we talking Christianity or 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 or? Buddhism, well, faith, there is a higher power. You decide what that is. But what I'm more concerned with is the faith in yourself, the confidence in yourself to make a decision and stick to that decision and follow through with that decision. Most people don't even have that level of faith in themselves, let alone of a higher power. So the project is something that's very uh, different than traditional self-development programs because it's physical, it's in-person, it's 75 hours straight. We control their food, their sleep, the every minute of their day. Uh, but those that graduate to the other side are, are just amazing, amazing humans. Um, and we've had guys who are from real estate developers to fitness guys to celebrities to uh, two uh, professional poker players. Like people, have, a, a pastor just went through it. And um, this guy's a savage, savage. And he his message now of of, of Christianity and, and, and salvation through Jesus is multiplied because he realized that he had this little disfigurement in his, in his arm. One arm is slightly shorter than the other. And unless you look, you won't be able to tell. But that became a limiting component of his message of salvation. And he very quickly, quickly overcame that in the project. And so I share this because adversity really does build you up 
and exposes you to your highest self. Uh, and most people have zero adversity these days because of the convenience and comfort economy we live in. Yeah, all of the old world religions have preached since the beginning of time that suffering is the way, you know, whether it's fasting or, or whatever it is that they encourage, uh, that is the way to finding out who you really are. And I really believe that yourself and, and lots of people who are in your space are very popularized by the heterodox opinions that you hold versus society, which has said for the last 20, maybe 30 years, uh, if you're being too ma manly, you are uh, inciting toxic masculinity and you're propagating toxic masculinity. If you are embracing your manhood, that's something that you should suppress and deny rather than embrace and, and, uh, and, and be proud of. And what do you think it was culturally or societally that, that sort of spurred on this idea that being weak is virtuous? Well, yeah, the, the, the sad reality is they don't necessarily come out and say that being weak is virtuous. They say being masculine is toxic. And let's just talk about that for a moment, Jim, because those two words don't even belong together. A man can either be toxic or masculine. If you're masculine, then you are decisive. You are physically strong, but you also know how to control your anger and your rage. You open doors, say please and thank yous, you show respect to others and expect respect back. That is a masculine man, a helper, a servant of society. A toxic man is one who is passive aggressive, has ne never been taught to speak his mind, has never been encouraged to be physically strong and therefore lacks confidence in himself. And by being passive aggressive, they let it build up, build up, build up, and then they explode at people and you go, whoa, bro, whoa, what is the matter with you, man? So there's toxic men and there's masculine men, but there are zero toxic masculinity men. Those, But the media, who thrives on declawing and defanging men, because the reality is, and I know, again, this is going to be politically incorrect, but it's men who are going to stand in the gap when the battle begins. God forbid the battle begins, it's going to be men who will stand in the gap. And so... We don't need to declaw and defang women. Women have a very important job that men can't do, many important jobs. Women are, are nurturers. Women give birth to our, like the population would die if women went on a strike and said, no men can come near me, right? Like they have such a, they are caretakers of society. Like my wife, she will organize the controlled chaos that I am, that I'm unable to control. She will organize and have a team behind me as I plow forward in another business venture because she's so well gifted in that area. And I'm gifted in the area of plowing forward and taking risks and knowing how to make those quick decisions in areas of business. But I share this with you because if the media is truly the voice of the government, and remember, you're talking to a former communist here who escaped the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union did use the media as the voice of the government. And we are seeing signs of that now. If the media is the voice of the government and if the government wants to declaw and defang masculine men like Jim so that if the time comes, Jim is fearful and doesn't stand in the gap, then it makes sense to point at you and say the way you are, that flag on your chest, sir is toxic, uh, you, are, you are insensitive, and in fact, you seem intimidating with that confident stare 
that you're giving me. And I wonder if you might be thinking of inciting violence against me. When in reality, what I see, Jim, is a very confident, patriotic man. Well, thank you for saying that. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite Rocky Balboa t-shirts. So uh, I wear it with pride on a number of different levels. Pedros, thank you for deploying the messages you do. But moreover, thank you for walking the walk and being an exemplary, an example of what a man can be when he realizes his potential and decides he's going to chase it with absolute relentlessness. Um, I'm thrilled to have been able to share this podcast with uh, my audience and uh, very grateful for the time you've given me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. And I appreciate you, my friend, and can't wait to be able to share this podcast with my audience as well. Take care.